Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back once again. I'm Matt Chatham, your host, former Patriots and Jets linebacker. Got a couple special guests today. Uh, obviously, the NFL draft is now in the rearview mirror. We got a couple guys that follow the college game closely, experienced former players, and uh, some guys I worked with in the past and played against as well. So uh, today we've got Rocky Boyman. Rocky, what's up, man? How we doing? Not too bad. Rocky's a former linebacker like myself, a uh, Notre Dame guy, played years in the NFL with the Titans, Colts, some other teams, got a Super Bowl ring. And the other guy we got on the line here today is Derek Rackley. And Rack is my uh, my old partner at the Big Ten Network. Rack now is a, is a co-host at 120 Sports and works for Westwood One Radio. He's all over the map. Long snapper, Minnesota Golden Gopher. What is up, Rack? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Appreciate uh, you having me on today. No worries. Well, guys, uh, obviously that was an exhausting weekend. I know each of us works in radio and TV and has to cover this thing. And, you know, it was a, it was a long weekend. I, I know for me personally, there was a lot of late nights, but it's in the uh, it's in the rearview mirror, as I said before. But uh, I'm just curious uh, from a couple of former players standpoint. How did you like it? I mean, uh, obviously the format is is slightly different with the third day, not all the picks being announced in Chicago. And then just the, the simple fact that it was in Chicago, I thought that was obviously pretty unique. What were you guys' big takeaways from the weekend? Well, I'll start it off that uh, I was actually in Chicago, so I got a chance to experience some of the stuff firsthand. And, um, no, I think anytime you end up changing something in a huge way, obviously the draft has been all held almost exclusively in New York City since its inception, um, there are going to be people that want to pick and choose and try to find different in it. But uh, especially from working the um, or from watching the first night, I surely thought that they had some, especially for the television audience, I thought they had some gorgeous shots of downtown Chicago as the sun was right. setting. The set was really cool. Um, and uh, I don't think there was a whole lot of, glitches as far as the picks going off and everything um, maybe lacked a little bit of the excitement from the major trades and some of the blockbuster moves that we've seen in the past but from my perspective it looked like the move to Chicago was was a positive one no I, I, well, I would say I would say this right yeah. oh, go ahead go ahead rock go ahead buddy no I was gonna say I, I agree that uh, you know it's just another example of the NFL not being afraid to change things baseball is always very resilient to, to or resistant to change I, I should say but the nfl say hey, well, you know we've had the nfl draft uh, in new york for so many years let's try it somewhere else and maybe turn you know try rotating this thing so i thought i thought they pulled it off well visually it looked great uh, kind of like rack said I, I really predict and this is my bold prediction is going in that there'd be a ton of trades especially in the first round i believe there are you know in terms of guys you know teams moving up and moving down I believe there was only three, so that was a little bit shocking. Uh, and I guess the other, uh, the other other thing that really sticks out to me about the first round was how about Thomas Davis uh, for for the Carolina Panthers? 
he gets the uh, you know the honor of getting, you know announcing the pick, and he announces the guy who's probably going to replace him in Shaq Washington. So I thought that was kind of funny. That that was hilarious. Uh, I guess the thing that that stood out for me was, uh, and Rack knows this obviously. BTN is there in Chicago. It's it's a gorgeous downtown. I was really excited to see sort of what was essentially a Super Bowl setup. I mean, they had it almost like that NFL experience kind of situation, sort yep. of like draft central kind of thing. And you know, it's something that you actually don't aren't able to pull off quite as well in New York because it's just so much more dense. But there's sort of that parkland feel to downtown Chicago. It was gorgeous. I mean, I, I, the first two days were just um, unbelievable. I, I was I spent the entire thing in the media room at the stadium at Gillette, you know, waiting quietly for uh, for Bill Belichick to come uh, do his midnight press conference after they take the 32nd pick and trade out of the first round, as they always, you know, we thought trade out of the first round, then they didn't, and they took. Uh, took Brown, Malcolm Brown from Texas. But to me, the only glitch I would say is for whatever reason, uh, there was a little bit of a lag, quite a bit of lag, more, sometimes more than multiple picks where the broadcast wasn't catching up to social media. And I think social media went ahead and just said, screw it, we're going to put it out there. But that's a pretty that's a pretty minor minor critique. All in all, I think it was a great weekend, and I think they're, they're going to dive right back into it again. I think they found a winner. But Okay, so we're going to get into here today, and, and really what the big topic about is today is, I think, obviously, with a bunch of players here on the line, we understand that the draft is the media event. It's it's a it's a cool investment event for players to really find out where you're going to go, but the real work kind of starts now. Uh, and we, we spent all this time leading up to the draft, evaluating guys, thinking where they might fit, where they might go, if they're a second rounder, a third or fourth, or whatever it happens to be. We talk about guys falling and rising and all that kind of stuff. But again, they were never taken. So they're taken where they're taken. What I find interesting now when sort of the dust settles is what's the fit? You know, it's great that you went in a certain round. It's great that you went to a certain team. But we'll start here at the top with the two most obvious things. The the two quarterbacks that everyone's been talking about for months. Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariotto. Mariotto. Um, (laughs) Jameis was uh, really not a surprise. I mean, obviously Tampa sticks with him at the top pick uh, and Mariota goes to Tennessee with a second. Um, I'm going to throw this to you first rack. Uh, I've got some thoughts on the two of those guys. I know you've watched a ton of Marcus over the last few years uh, and Jameis as well, but uh, what's your feeling on the, the, the landing spots that these guys ended up in? Yeah. So I think with, to your point that we never really heard a whole lot of rumblings about, uh, Tampa Bay going to do anything outside of Jameis Winston. It sounded as if they were impressed with everything that they had seen throughout the entire pre-draft process going back to his pro day when Jason Light, the general manager, said he thought it went great. Um, that, to me, was just kind of the, the seal of approval that they're going to end up taking him no matter what Chip Kelly or the Oakland Raiders or Washington Redskins or Dallas Cowboys, three teams that generally like to do draft day-type blockbuster trades, Whatever those teams or personnel execs tried to do, they were going to take their guy. Um, Watching Jameis Winston, obviously his redshirt freshman year when they won the national championship, the numbers and everything that he displayed was phenomenal. And then this past season in 2014, there's no doubt that he was trying to do a little bit more, potentially with having less. Obviously losing Calvin Benjamin to the NFL was not an easy transition for him having that safety blanket. I kind of – compare it to like Mike Evans leaving Texas A&M. You don't have that right. matchup nightmare that's able to go up over the top of defenses and make plays, make a quarterback look really good. Um, as we all know, he's got the, the, the character or the maturity concerns. Now, he says all the right things. 
But guys, doesn't that sound a whole lot familiar to last year with Johnny Manziel? I feel like, like yeah, I feel like I've seen this movie. I've seen this movie. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And as you mentioned, um, Matt, that you know, us all former players, we kind of take the, the draft with a grain of salt because we've seen guys come in with such high expectations and then they fail to meet them. So it's just a start to the process. Now it's a matter of whether or not all these guys, and we're talking about Jameis Winston, decide that they want to grow up, put their college days behind them be mature, be the face of the franchise, and be a leader. And that's exactly what we're going to have to wait to see with Jameis Winston because you look at the tape, he's going to make all of the NFL throws. He's going to make all of them. He's going to make the deep throws, the short throws, the, the deep comebacks, the skinny posts down the middle of the field. He throws with anticipation. Sometimes does he have that gunslinger mentality? Absolutely. But in the NFL, you'd much rather have that than the opposite, because if you don't get the football out of your hands, you're never going to be able to make the big plays in the NFL. Um, then quickly transitioning over to Marcus Mariota, Mariotto. <laughs> it's, uh, Roger like to call it's, it's tough to not get that out of your head now. It's stuck in my mind. Right? <laughs> um, you know, I got a chance to see him a couple of times this year up close and personal. I think when you're a former NFL player, you've seen guys succeed at the position, and then you have the opportunity to see a guy that everybody has such high expectations for and think that he can be the savior. You really want to see that does he t- truly have the traits, the throws, the talents that you've seen from successful guys in the National Football League. And at times, I see it. At times, I see that he's got the ability to make some big-time throws. He can throw the deep ball, and he can throw it and drop it in the breadbasket. Um, he can obviously throw the checkdowns and the screen passes, but yeah, I wrote about this back in September on Football by Football, but, uh, whether or not he's got the ability to throw those skinny posts, the deep comebacks, and all of those on anticipation, especially staring down a gun barrel with pressure in his face. And I don't think those things have been answered for me yet. I still got to see a whole lot more. Is he a franchise-type guy? Absolutely. You don't have to worry about him away from the football field. He's going to be there every day. He's going to work. He's going to be the leader. Maybe not the vocal leader, um, but I think Ken Wisenhunt and that staff at Tennessee is going to have strategic in how they end up using his talents and kind of adjusting their offense to fit what he does best. If they just try to make him an NFL quarterback, try to make him a Carson Palmer or some of these guys that sit in the pocket, I think that could end up spelling trouble. As a guy who who played in Tennessee for four years, let me start off by saying Marcus Mariota is going to be an absolute star in that town. I mean, that town is going to absolutely fall in love with that kind of guy who's not a not a huge talker, kind of the way Steve McNair was. Steve McNair wasn't a guy who was always, you know, trying to bring attention to himself. He kind of sat back in the fold and but produced as a player. And obviously, that's what Marcus has to do. I, I will say, a, a month ago when people were saying, oh, well, Marcus Mariota is going to fall to the fifth or sixth spot because Ken Wisenhunt likes pro-style quarterbacks. And, and my argument was, yes, he may prefer more pro-style quarterbacks, but he also likes his job as a head coach of the Tennessee <laughs> right, Titans. Right. And if you don't have a quarterback in this league, you're going to find yourself on the outs pretty quick. So I, I think kind of to what Iraq was saying, the key for Ken Wisenhunt and how they use Mariota is not to – you know, try to fit a square peg in a round hole. I mean, so to me, some of the be- the best coaches in the league, or any sport for that matter, are the guys that say, you know what, I, I may like a certain system, but I'm going to take my player and adapt my system to the player rather than a coach that says, damn it, this is what I do and this is the kind of way I run it, and you're gonna you're gonna mold into that. I, I don't think that works, especially with a guy like Marcus Mariota. So, well, wasn't wasn't Hunt may have more again, you know, having Coach Carson Palmer and Rivers and those guys 
have more experience in the pocket style guys. He's going to have to adapt that system. And, and, and let's be honest, though, guys. I mean, he's a tremendously talented player. I always thought that was one of the things that was lost in this draft. It was like it, it almost made out to be, well, the decision is either the super talented, uh, high-risky, off-the-field guy in Winston versus the really conservative, you know, good off-the-field but not as talented guy in Marcus Mariota. This guy is tremendously talented. So right. I thought it was an absolute steal for the Titans to get him there, and I think he's going to be a star. So I'm going to take this from a, a weird angle, but just not to punch holes. I think guys have tried to do that, obviously, for the last several months to try to figure out where the two of these guys would land. They're where they are. It's, it's probably what I think would be the smart choice in both instances. Uh, the one thing that I sort of hold as a caveat, a little thing that I'm, I'm anxious to see with Jameis Winston, it's the one attribute that, that concerns me when we start talking translation to the pro game. When there's a, when there's a tick up in turnovers from a guy who, generally speaking at Florida State, your athletes are better than the athletes across from you. And you're right. He obviously loses uh, Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, and I don't know if any of you guys had seen John Gruden's piece where he does sort of the up-close quarterback camp thing with, with Jameis, and he was really pressing him on why such a large percentage of his interceptions went to Rashad Green, where he kind of acknowledged, you know, I had a guy. You know, I, I relied really heavily on the guy, and a lot of times I put balls in there I shouldn't have, and it was, it was a crutch, he almost mm-hmm. felt like. And I guess what, you know, I guess my point what I'm getting to is when you get to the NFL level, the guys across from you are as good as your guys. You know, your offensive linemen are no longer better athletes than all their defenders. You don't have the, the personnel advantage that you had at Florida State. Now when things are equal, how do you reduce your turnovers? I just don't see how that happens. It, it could. I'm, I'm more than open to being surprised. But I think that'll be obviously the obstacle he faces. And the second part of that for me with Jameis Winston is, is because it's Tampa. You know, and I would almost argue that, you know, Tampa's the right was right to take him. Jameis is, will, will hopefully have some success there. But if I was Jameis uh, and there were some of those teams that were potentially taking me, because of the makeup of that roster, I think it'll make it slightly more difficult to have success early. And, and here, here would be my argument. If you have a guy who has an issue with throwing some picks, uh, just the makeup of that of that Tampa wide receiver group, they're huge. I mean, these are studs. This is Mike Evans. This is Vincent Jackson. I always screw up his name, Safarius Jenkins or Safarian Jenkins Safarian or whatever. The, Jenkins, yep. There you <laughs> go. The 6'8 or 6'6, six, 6'7, six, six, whatever tight end. All these guys are 6'4, 6'5, 6'6. This is a big group. This is as big a group of wide receivers as you have in the NFL. A group that's built a little like them is actually the Chicago Bears. Uh, who yeah. are really big, no longer that, that way anymore. But I, I think the issue with those size groups is they're great at going up and getting the 50-50 ball on the outside, but they don't give you as much separation on the intermediate stuff. And when you have a guy who's going to be throwing to people and don't get separation as much, maybe a lot of those passes, those 50-50 balls you get away with in college, you know, you don't at the pros. So had he fallen to another place and you're, you're dealing with a wide receiver that gets more separation, like, like a Marvin Harrison type, I know he's not out there anymore, or a guy that's more of a technician that will get that intermediate separation, create more of a window for him. I just have a sense that there's, he's going to be thrown to a lot of tight spots. Uh, and these guys will, you know, be jump ball volleyball players and do a good job of keeping off them. But I think that that creates some risk as well for a guy who already had an issue with throwing picks. On the Mariota thing, I, I just, uh, I don't know. It's, it's. I loved him as a player. I have no concerns about him making the translation. It's just a talent bereft team right now on the offensive side of the ball. So yeah. it just depends, I guess, what you feel about, you know, Bishop Skanky, 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 
And, uh, you know, right at the wide receiver position, Delaney Walker's a solid tight end, but he goes in with some serious question marks. So I would actually almost argue that playing in a spread offense where the strength of the players is a little less important as opposed to the space you create with your scheme, that might, that might actually help him, you know? So it, again, it's something to kind of keep an eye on, but, uh, yep. anyway, we're going to move on here, guys, both of you to, uh, this idea now that we know everyone's landed where they've landed, right. And uh, may, less so these guys who, who, who grabbed the headlines we've been talking about so much, but maybe focus in here on a player or two that, you know, you think based on the particular team that picked him, the particular scheme they run and his particular attributes, what he does well, is there a guy out there that you think, wow, that was perfect. There's 32 different slots for this guy. The right team took him. And I think his path to being a successful player is really helped by where he landed. I'll start with you, Rack. Yeah, yeah I'm going to oh, start. Okay, go ahead, Rack. I'm sorry. Oh, we've got a rack and a Rocky, so it's really close here. <laughs> <laughs> One little M. <clears throat> Rocky, why don't you go ahead? I'll let you start this time. I'll, I'll go ahead. Um, to me, if I'm thinking um, guys that landed in a perfect spot for him, the one that jumps off the page to me is Todd Gurley. And, again, having played for Jeff Fisher for four years uh, when, when I was in Tennessee, he's a guy that won with defense and running the ball back in the heyday of Eddie George. And he really – you know, the mindset was we're going to pound these teams in the submission. And, and I just think, and I know the argument, the running back position is devalued, and most teams have the one-two combination. I get all that. But I think Todd Gurley, when I watch him in rack, you tell me he's different. I've, I've, I've covered a game of his in college, and I've stood next to the guy on the sideline. He looks like, a, looks like a, the way a running back should look, and I think he's a transcendent talent at that position. And as a former linebacker, the guys that kept me up at night, it, weren't, it wasn't just the big guys. It wasn't Jerome Bettis, okay? And, you know, those guys are tough players. And it wasn't just the super fast guys like LaDainian Tomlinson. It was the guys that had both were the ones that kept me up at night. And right. I like Marshawn Lynch, a guy that has the power to run you over, but then he runs to the corner and you can't catch him. When I watch Todd Gurley, that's what I see. And, again, I, I think it's a perfect fit for what Jeff Fisher wants to do. I think in that division it makes a lot of sense. You want to keep the other team's offense off the field a little bit, and the Seahawks, okay, they're hard to pass against. Let's see if those boys want to play against the run a little bit. So I thought Todd Gurley, and I know he's hurt. I know he's coming off the ACL, but I'm sure they got the reassurance that that was going to be okay. And if he's 100%, when he gets to 100%, I think he's an absolute steal, and I love the pick. Yeah, he is um, a tremendous talent, I tell you. He's got the, the legs like tree trunks, but he's got an upper body that almost looks like a wide receiver, and that's that's kind of what you're getting, the ability to break tackles, but yet he's not too big to where if he gets in the yeah. open field, he can take it the distance, and there's just not too many of those guys these days. So I, I would agree with that as well. Um, I'll switch gears and talk about the defensive side of the ball. Oddly enough, I'm an offensive-minded guy, and I'm on the phone here. I'm on the radio with two defensive guys, so you guys might be proud of me. Um, but um, I'm going to talk about Trey Waynes uh, out of Michigan State going to – the uh, Minnesota Vikings, and, and I thought that he was the best lockdown corner in this draft. I got a chance to cover a number of his games when I was working for the Big Ten Network, and then again last year I got a chance to see him in his final season for the Spartans going up against Oregon out in Eugene, and um, he's just another one of these guys that comes off of that formerly coached Pat Narduzzi defense um, that's just NFL ready. I mean, the guy's long, he's lean, he showed at the combine that he's got tremendous speed, and then he's going into a defense with Mike Zimmer, who's one of the best defensive-minded coaches in the NFL, who puts a lot of pressure and really works closely with his corners. 
And obviously it was a big need for that side of the ball as well. So I think it ends up being a home run. I think he's a guy that's going to end up starting on day one. He's not uh, afraid to get up in anybody's face, and I don't think that'll change once he gets to the NFL. I think he's going to end up going up against some of the best receivers when he's playing in the division, whether that's Calvin Johnson, whether that's Jordy Nelson, and he's going to get right up in their face. He's a competitor. He's not necessarily a trash talker, but he's been well coached. Um, He's got tremendous talent. He's got great hips. He's got faith in his speed that if he ends up taking chances, he'll be able to catch back up. I think it was a home run pick for them. And I'll just throw this out, too, as I finish. I thought it was a great draft overall for the Minnesota Vikings, especially their top four picks, getting Trey Waynes, getting Kendricks out of UCLA for the linebacking core, getting Daniil Hunter out of LSU, a long and lean pass rusher, and then T.J. Clemming, the tackle out of Pittsburgh, who some thought was a late first, early second round pick but had some injury concern. They end up getting in the fourth round. I think it was a really good draft by the Vikings. I'm going to go another route here, and I'm actually going to go running back. So, uh, and I, I picked a bad name, a tough name to say. I, I try not to do this. We, I, we got to announce a pick, uh, the six-round pick uh, on on Saturday for the Patriots, and I went out of my way to try to find a guy. I ended up getting Matthew Wells, uh, which was wow. I can do that. <laughs> it was three easy syllables. I can, I can <laughs> handle that. But I was sitting there just sweating bullets that I was going to get a name like this one, uh, which was Jay Ajayi. Jay Ajayi, excuse me. Boise State. We all know him the back. Jay was a stud in college, and and for whatever reason, there were there were some smoke screens. I thought I'd call him as much thrown up about his knee uh, as things were sort of going through the the draft process. They have that medical recheck section where they can bring a guy back in if there's some major concern. There was just this idea that he had some you know major medical issue, and it was from four years ago. And I, I think it ended up being a lot of nothing. But I don't know if that's what influ- influenced his fall. Ran well at the combine, ran well at his pro day. Everything he did sort of checked out, super productive. Uh, but he fell, and he fell to Miami. And I think Miami getting him as a fifth-round pick is an absolute steal. Uh, the reason I like him, he does remind me a little bit of a, a guy that Miami had years ago that I got a ton of respect for in Ricky Williams. But uh, the only thing I would say different is he's a little more sudden than Ricky. But what made Ricky so special, what I think I like about Jay that I've seen on tape, is he's not a one-thing kind of guy it's not he you know we, we we often sort of categorize backs at least as defenders and defenses i played on there's the bounce out cutback guys the guys that are straight slash that don't want to get downhill but that are super dangerous you're just going to take it anywhere you know or and then there's the guys that are sort of one cut guys the zone runners that are going to stretch stretch hit downhill and then there's some other guys that are just straight race cars that will just try to get to the edge each and every time and then you have the other classification of backs, just the you know the, the scat backs out of the backfield that migrate towards just third down and don't have sort of the whole role. The thing I always liked about Jay is when you watch him on film, he, he really does all those things. There are times if you're a defender sort of scouting against the guy where you don't know if he's going to bring it play side and keep it play side or cut it all the way back. He'll cut backside A gap. He'll wind it back all the way to the other, you know, E gap or whatever the hell you want to call it. He's a guy who can take it everywhere. But when it's required to go downhill, he did it. Now, Boise State uses a fullback in a lot of situations, so he gets enough of those snaps. But there's also enough snaps on there, and I think he was challenged this way. I believe it was in the Senior Bowl or Blue-Gray, one of those games, where he was in the gun enough. Where, And I think that's important because in Miami, uh, Ryan Tannehill spent a lot of time in spread, uh, especially last season. Uh, Bill Lazor, I believe, is the coordinator down there. But they've really they've really migrated toward this idea where they like, like Tannehill back there, like him sort of operating from that situation. And not every back in the league can operate from the gun. It's a different kind of uh, footstep. It's a different kind of sort of pattern. 
Timing's got to be a little different. Sometimes the guys that are great zone runners that are great guys with a fullback in front of them just don't adjust that way. But I don't think that's going to be his deal. I actually would point to the way Miami's offense was when they beat the Patriots in September a year ago and Noshawn Moreno absolutely tore him up. Now, Noshawn goes and gets a huge injury, loses a season. He's still a free agent now. But the difference between having him, a guy that really could do all three downs, that they now didn't have. It's Lamar Miller on that roster. is a solid player, but I think Jay is sort of next level. So to get him in that in that regard, I think they really hit a home run. So I'm going to I'm gonna switch uh, gears here, and we'll go back down the line. And, again, this isn't meant to hammer a player whatsoever. Uh, it's not to say that, you know, he's going to be a bust or anything like those along those lines, just more to frame it as it might be a challenge based on where this guy went. We just talked about guys that were exceptional fits. The team does what I think will fit the guy's skill set. Is there a guy in your mind that went to a place, got drafted at a nice level, but what he does, we don't know yet. Will it translate to the team that he went to? There's certainly a question mark there. I'll start with you, Derek. What do you think? uh, Who's your guy that would fit that mold? You know, another guy that I've had a chance to see quite a bit um, that ended up getting drafted by the Carolina Panthers was wide receiver slash tight end slash wide receiver. I'm not quite sure how they're going to do <laughs> None of us are. Exactly. <laughs> right. uh, but Devin Funches out of Michigan. Um, right. the, the Panthers decided to trade up to get him. And this is a Carolina Panthers team that we knew we know ended up drafting Kelvin Benjamin last year. But the biggest concern was they needed offensive line help and they needed to put more talented playmakers around Cam Newton. Um, Well, they brought him a playmaker, but I just think they needed to add more speed to this wide receiver core uh, with some of the other guys that they ended up having there. And I just don't feel like they addressed that with Devin Funches. Now, is this guy somebody that can be a matchup nightmare? Absolutely. But I also say, that this is a team that's in great shape when it comes to the tight end position with Greg Olson. Now, there's no saying that you can't put two tight ends on the field or two tight end-type bodies um, to create matchup nightmares. Matt, you know about that from back in the Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez days. I mean, uh, New England had a ton of success putting those two guys on the field at the same time. But the concerns are that Devin Funches doesn't have that top-end speed like having two really good tight ends on the field. So, I mean, he could end up being a really good player still. I just wonder if Carolina was looking for a playmaker to put on offense, if they should have gone with a traditional outside receiver that's got speed, the ability to create separation. Because we know Benjamin's the guy that's going to go up top. Not that he can't um, create some separation in the defense. But I think offensively that was an opportunity for them to add a wide receiver that really creates separation um, and helps create some explosive plays. So before I go to you, Rocky, I'm curious with this. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that one up, Rack. It's uh, the first thought that I had when I saw them take that pick, and understand, obviously, I'm working here in the New England market, Brandon LaFell. Now, Brandon LaFell is the identical body type. He's, he's 6'3", he's about 235. He's essentially, is he a tight end, is he a wide receiver, whatever. I mean, he lines up, flex just slightly virtually every play, wins on the inside, can win outside. But they went away from Brandon LaFell in Carolina. They didn't give him that second deal, and it was for modest money that New England got him to come here. My first mm-hmm. thought was, what, you know, and the big crit- criticism when, when New England got him is this is a raw guy. He's not a technician. He's not a top-end speed guy. He's not super precise in his routes. He's raw-ish, even several years in his league where he'd been productive at Carolina. He comes last year, and he was exceptional. Again, going to Carolina is not playing in in, in a Tom Brady offense, but my first thought is they're doing it again. You know, they're basically getting a guy that's a little raw-ish. What position is he? Uh, 
we'll see how it works out. So, you know, they're back to the well. They don't have to pay the, you know, the big price that you do for, for right. uh, LaFell right. had he been in free agency, but it does feel a lot like they got that same guy that they had before. Uh, so, Rocky, what's your uh, what's your thought here? What what, what guy would you peg? Well, but before I go into that, it's funny, Rack, as you're talking about Devin Funches as a guy who's a wide receiver, is he a tight end, is he a – what is he? The Carolina Panthers got two of those kind of guys because cause Shaq Thompson is – where do you yep, put him? Yep. You know, he, is, he a, is he a linebacker? Is he a safety? Is he – what is he? So it's kind of but, – but also I think what may work out in that favor, and, and Matt, it's funny, we were actually talking about this on the last podcast, and it's – versatility in the NFL and how important that is. So, you know, maybe it's not quite certain where you're going to put these guys, but the fact that they can do a little bit of everything may wind up being a good thing. Um, but now this is going to be interesting because, because um, Rack, your, uh, your pick of your, your the guy that you thought was one of your best fit was Trey Waynes. I thought it was one of the worst, and, and this is going to be a good debate here. Um, Trey Waynes goes at number 11 to Minnesota. Um, I guess having because Mike Zimmer spent a lot of time here in my hometown of Cincinnati, and I do a lot of Bengals coverage, and just knowing the kind of guy he is, uh, he, he you know he, he's really a like a physical down and dirty kind of guy, right? Mike Zimmer he wants to wants to be really physical. I didn't see Trey Waynes, and obviously you've seen him on film a lot more than I have. I didn't see Trey Waynes really fit that bill of a Mike Zimmer punchy in the mouth kind of guy. I, I think Trey Waynes again exceptional vertical speed. But you know, kind of you know, frail looking, real small, thin hipped guy. Looks like he's 150 pounds soaking wet. Uh, don't know if his, his lateral, you know, agility stuff was real good. So I, I just wonder when I think about the kind of cornerbacks that Mike Zimmer has had when he was here in Cincinnati with the Pac-Man Jones and Leon Hall. And those guys are, you know, they're not, uh, you know, linebackers or anything. But those guys would come up and fill on the run. When I saw the tape of Trey Waynes, and again, I didn't see as many games as you did, but I didn't see a guy that looked like he wanted to stick his face in the fan, as they say. So that that's the one that I wondered with Mike Zimmer and his mentality, will that work out? Yeah, oddly enough, we had the you know kind of comparison with Darquez Denard, and Darquez has got a little bit more of that stick your nose in the line of scrimmage type play. Not to say that Trey Wayne doesn't, because he will go in and make plays in the running game. I think it's a a very fair point. Um, I would just tell you this, you know, playing on that Michigan State defense with Pat Narduzzi, you're not going to get on the field if you're not physical, if you're not willing to throw it up in there and make plays in the running game, just because this has been one of the best defenses in the last, you know, over the last five years, Michigan State defenses have been top five, top ten every single year. Mm-hmm. That doesn't yeah. happen just because you have good corners. That, that happens because you shut down the run. And as you guys know, shutting down the run is just not the front seven. It's everybody getting involved. So, right. you know, I think it's I think it's good to get different perspectives. I have no problem with that. You know, a defensive guy and Rocky seeing a little bit different than the offensive guy does. I just, to me, he was the best man-to-man lockdown corner in this draft, and I think Minnesota thought the same thing, taking him 11th overall. You just wonder, in, in today's NFL where I, I think what, a, what an offense does better now than they did even when, when all three of us played is offenses identify what, some weak point of a defense or find one player who's not good at something 
and they attack that. And I just wonder if, okay, hey, rather than, okay, Trey Wayne's out there, rather than try to attack him in man-to-man coverage, which is what he does well all game, let's see if he wants to come up, and we're going to pull one of our guards out there and see if he wants to come up and take that guy out the knees and form a pile, or is he going to kind of back off a little bit? I, I just wonder if that's going to happen. No question Trey Wayne's is, you know, coverage skills, which will be good with a kind of, you know, zone blitz kind of concepts that Mike Zimmer likes. But, again, I'd be interested to see how it works out, hopefully for Trey Wayne's sake. Uh, he uh, And if one thing I do know about Mike Zimmer, if he has any sort of, uh, you know, uh, desire to play the run, Mike Zimmer's going to get it out of him. That's no, no question about that. <laughs> so I'm going to go way left field uh, for the specific reason that I, I think I've heard this is the steal of the draft kind of guy. And I agree relative to him falling into the second round for, you know, all the reasons he was there. But my guy is actually Randy Gregory with the Cowboys. Not because I don't think he's a great player or could be a great player. Not because I don't think he was an incredible value for the Cowboys to get him where they got him. But I think some of the some of the narrative stuff we're hearing thus far out of there is this is some sort of pass rushing savior guy, uh, you know, three downs, a guy they would have gotten high in the first round, but they didn't have to pick there. You get him when he falls. The reason I mentioned Randy, and again, I'm, I'm probably gravitating towards this because I, I saw a lot of him the last couple of years at the Big Ten. The thing that concerns me with him is he reminds me a little of Deion Jordan and the situation, mm-hmm. the, the, defense, you know, the outside linebacker, Deion, whatever he is from Oregon that went down to Miami, who's now suspended. Not that that, not that, that would be the case. I'm, I'm not focusing here so much on the off-the-field stuff. My view, and obviously the guy falls, and if we'd have been having this conversation prior to last season, he was, he was a guy that was being projected as maybe even a top five, top ten pick. So the weed thing is its own deal. You know, I don't know what teams would not pass on a guy for weed possession. Maybe they're just judging it as his his own judgment, and there's other issues there. But that alone I didn't think would be enough to take a guy who was maybe going to be a top 10 to all of a sudden put him where he was in the second round. I think part of the, the air quotes fall has as much to do with the on-field stuff because of his makeup and his build. He's t- you know, there was times last season he's, he's in the 220s, you know, and he's a tall, mm-hmm. thin guy. Yeah. And he's, you know, he gets himself up to the combine in the 230s, but that is still incredibly thin for the defensive end position uh, in the NFL. And the reason, the reason I think it's most important here is because it's the Cowboys that took him and understanding who they play each and every week. Now, I, th- I actually think Randy Gregory is going to be an impact guy in the NFL, potentially early as a rotational guy. You know, get him in there on the passing downs where the threat of run isn't so great on third and nine or something, right? Or second and 12 or something where it's, it's, it's sort of predicated a little bit what might happen prior to the play. But because it's that particular division, because it's the Washington Redskins and the Philadelphia Eagles and the New York Giants, and when I say the Redskins, understand they took uh, Brandon Scherf out of Iowa, a mauler at one tackle position, and at the other side you got Trent Williams, another mauler at the other one. He's going to have to go against physical-style guys, big, mauling, maybe not as agile-type tackles. Uh, I put it in uh, in a Philly situation as well. Blanking on his name, their left tackle, former former Buffalo Bill, the Peters, Jason Peters. This is a guy whose feet might be able to match feet with with Gregory, but it's going to maul. So the reason this stuff matters is I think at the college level, Gregory's feet are just so much better than any of the tackles he's facing. So he can be out athletic the other guy across from him. But when those tackles at the NFL level close that gap just a little bit, they're they're certainly never going to be as much as the other. But you're undersized, and Rocky, I think you know this, you're undersized against those big tackles at 250. 
at 235, those 15 pounds become a problem on direct run. They're, they're going to test you. You cannot hide. And that just happens to be one of those divisions where, oh, Tyron Smith with, with, with the Cowboys. Well, oh, I'm sorry, they're on the same team. That, that one doesn't count. But there's enough of the guys. Well, even Flowers that was just selected by the Giants. It'll presumably be one of those tackles. He's that big, huge, mauling-sized guy. He's going to have to figure out how to handle those guys on first and second down, or he may just be a situational rusher initially. And people don't tend to have great patience for guys to get taken relatively high. Maybe he gets more rope here because he's in the second round as opposed to taken high in the first. But people tend to have sort of an impatience with guys that play supplemental roles. If you know if they think they can get a 15-sack guy, they want him out there all the snaps of the game. And based on that frame, it might take him a year or two to put some weight on that thing. And, you know, can he hold 255? Can he hold even 265? He's a long ways from it if he's walking in the building at 230-something. So um, that's just to me a little bit of a question mark. It's not that the guy's a good player. I think if, if I know it's third down, he's as scary a guy over the tackle uh, to, to just stop in a simple one-on-one pass rush situation. But the NFL is more than that. So that's definitely a guy we'll kind of have my eye on. We'll see. We'll see where things go. Well, hey, guys, that's that's really all the time we had. I wanted to thank you for coming in. This was an awesome discussion. Had a blast. Want to make sure all you people out there who are not already fans of the website, go to footballbyfootball.com. FBF podcast can be found on iTunes or Stitcher, or you can visit blogtalkradio.com and go to the football by football page. Be sure to check out footballbyfootball.com online. And if you don't already, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at FB by FB. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Night, Lucky. Night, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.